so we've been out for a while. We took time for the holidays to spend time with family and get work done and not sleep and then try to catch up on sleep and just an endless cycle. How many cycles of illnesses has your family gone through since we last recorded? I mean, I think for us, it's been at least two. Like everyone's been sick at least twice. Have we recorded since I got the flu? Did we record after that? I don't know. It's been, what, uh, two months? It hasn't been two months. Gooddaysirpodcast.com. Uh, yeah, we posted early December and I think I got sick right after that. No, late November, November 24th. So we're 10 days away from two months. So six weeks, six or seven weeks. Uh, we're bad. Our new year's resolution should be to, to either change the tagline on our site from a weekly podcast (laughs) or actually commit to doing a weekly podcast. I don't think we should change anything on our website. I'm going to change everything about the website. Whatever. Don't matter to me. I just show up every now and then and talk about stuff that I don't know anything about. Speaking of that, let's see. Hey, did you know there was a Salesforce Analyst Summit at the end of last year? The Salesforce Analyst Summit? No, yeah. did not know that. So I searched around for it and couldn't find anything, but I I heard some short clip of this guy, Dan, or is it Steve Gilmore? Steve Gilmore. Is that him? Gilmore Gang. Hang on. Gilmore Gang. He's still like, I think he's done a podcast forever now. Yeah, I guess he, I don't know. He moved his podcast or whatever it is to TechCrunch a while back. Yeah, and there's TechCrunch's annoying song. Um, <clears throat> But uh, he was talking, I was listening to some video or watching something and, and he mentioned something about this. They were at the Salesforce Analyst Summit. I was like, oh, I got to find out what this was, you know, because I'm always interested in which analyst Salesforce is, you know. Uh, who's on Salesforce's payroll, essentially. And uh, I guess Steve Gilmore is one of them. And as far as I can tell, no hard evidence, but I don't require hard evidence. <laughs> uh, but I, I couldn't find anything about it. Like search for, it's it was called Salesforce Analyst Summit. It was 2014. You can find something about it. I mean, everything like, kind of links to TechCrunch, but I couldn't really find much about it. It's almost like it was a, like a shadow event. So you're, you're saying that you heard about an event, but it, you can't find it. So here's now here's a Twitter status. When was this? Um, December 16th from Leslie Tom saying the Gilmore gang, John, all these different people, Steve Gilmore recorded live Friday, December 12th. In Menlo Park, California, at the Salesforce Analyst Summit 2014. So they recorded a podcast there. Hmm. Yeah. So what is a Salesforce analyst? Are we talking... You know, I go to pages that Google shows, but they, I, I'm getting 404s. It's just very strange. I mean, are we talking like professional service business analyst type people? No, like or people who... Like industry analysts. Okay, so in the stock market type stuff. I don't, I don't even think, no, not even from finance perspective, just from a, like a technology slash business perspective. I'm guessing that's what it was. Hmm. So I don't know. See if you can find anything. I, I see. Here's a Tumblr reference to it. Why attend the executive summit? Executive summit. Oh, that's something different. Anyway, I just thought it was weird. Very strange. It's all stealthy. It, I mean, it's very stealthy. I know that's what's, I mean, that's what attracted my attention to it. What is how stealthy. I mean, I just can't find anything. Oh, I see a Salesforce, a Dreamforce 14 sales summit, but I don't see anything about a 
Analyst Summit. Anyways. So Glassdoor released their best places to work 2015. And this is, these are the types of things that Salesforce usually does well in. I'm going to have to go. This, auto, got- this autoplay videos are super annoying. Um, why is the web full of autoplay videos now? I don't know. So I'm going to have to go back Thank- to... Um, Thankfully, most browsers now, at least in the I- tab icon, will show, a, or, and the tab will show an icon if it's playing a video or audio, so you can at least find which tab is playing something. That's true. Um, that's super annoying when you can't find the tab. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you have like 50 tabs open and you can't find. But, and before HTML5 video, you could just do flash block, right? So, and that's a, that was a good idea to do anyway, just, you know, have any, any flash that was on a page, you had to actually click on it to enable it. And that was, that was good. Yeah. But with HTML5 video now, you, you know, you have to have something. And I know there's, I heard someone talk about it. I know there's, there's probably, you know, half a dozen Chrome plugins or whatever to do this. I just haven't looked, but I need to, cause anyway. Um, so yeah, Glassdoor, they do, you know, they, aren't they, aren't they the ones that you can go to their website and do, you know, post anonymous things about your employer. Um, it's pretty, actually, it's, there's some kind of juicy stuff in there. You can go read, you know, pick any company and just read what employees anonymously say about them. But, um, Salesforce missed the list, man. There's like a top 50 or mm-hmm. I think it was what it was. Salesforce wasn't on there. They usually, I think they've been on that before. Well, I think uh, if it's a more local list, they definitely rank up there. I guess this was more of a national list. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the top is number one is Google. Number two is Bain. Is it, wasn't that uh, Mitt Romney's company? <laughs> uh, number three, Nestle Purina. Number four, F5. Chevron, HEB, in and out Burger. It's kind of weird. McKinsey and Company. It's weird to see these top consulting companies on there because I hear nothing but nightmare stories about, about them working for them. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on where Genentech, you're at with them. What's number 17. Adobe, 18. LinkedIn, Apple, Gartner. It, you just you expect to see Salesforce on this because they, uh, I think they always try to lobby to get on those, and they usually do pretty well. Although this one, I don't think there's, you know, it, it looks like it's it's just purely based on the data that people enter into Glassdoor, you know, how they rate their employer. Mm-hmm. It's not like. Uh, so like, what do you get for being the one of the best places to work? You just get to put that on your your job hunting app, whatever posts that says, Hey, we've ranked it as one of the greatest places to work. Why don't you come work here? Is that, is that all you get uh, out of it? I think so. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think this, I mean, it's, it's, it's like kind of like bragging rights and, you know, I mean, Salesforce, some of these awards they've won in the past, they'll put it on their website, you know, like a little icon at the bottom, you know, number one company, you know, Forbes or something, you know, For, Forbes is, <laughs> Forbes is all up in Salesforce. So they're always getting awards from them. I guess it's all related though. I guess if you, if you're a potential employee looking for a great place to work and that weighs in your decision, or it could mean that you're a prospective customer and you know that, or you feel that if people there love working there, that the output and quality of things will be awesome and that everything will be good. Yeah. Everything from support to the actual product. Whether or not that translates into reality, I don't know. Right. I've so, never, I, it's never influenced me in any way to see that someplace is the best place to work. I mean, I, I know Apple's made it a few times, but I've known people that work for Apple and it just depends on what you're doing for Apple. If you're one of the engineers in there, you'll probably have a pretty good life. If you're just some customer rep or, you know, supporting other employees, it, you know, 
It's the and same I, as working at every other place. And I could see the opposite there. I, because, you know, the engineers, that's, I mean, I, I've heard, I've heard nightmare stories also about, you know, engineers that work there, just insane deadlines. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you're working on the next iPhone or, you know, iOS or something in, in OS 10 or something. I mean, it's just, it's gotta be just breakneck speed getting yeah. stuff done. So, but I've heard it's weird. Apple. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories from people that work there that were incredibly positive and, you know, exactly the opposite. I just think it depends on who you work for, what time it was, you know, just your experience can be very drastically different. Yeah. But yeah, all my notes that I put together for this episode are, uh, there's a lot of them are just so stale because we were gone so long. Um, we can move on gosh, to some not stop. so stale stuff. We you got some not... release stuff to talk about. Well, I wonder if I should just plow through a couple of these old things first and then we'll kind of go in chronological order and then get to the new stuff. Plow through brother. Okay. Um, do you know anything about this new, um, CRM that HubSpot created? No. I don't know much about it either, but I mean, it's, it looks interesting. So HubSpot is one of these, they do like inbound marketing automation. So I'm surprised they haven't been bought yet actually by you know, Oracle or Adobe or Microsoft or Salesforce, but they launched their own CRM and it's, I think it's for, you know, small and medium companies. And it's definitely not like a, a, a software development platform that Salesforce tries to be nothing like that. Um, just CRM, but the screenshots of it look great. And it supposedly is just all about, um, uh, I, I guess improving just the process of, of that is like a salesperson or marketing people go through. So mm-hmm. like whether it comes to like entering data or whatever, you know, because even though, you know, Salesforce is this, you know, 800 pound gorilla now, I mean, we, we even have, I mean, think of, think of our mutual friends that just complain about and hate Salesforce. I mean, and there's, you know, and some of that may be just, lack of knowledge or, you know, don't know, bad attitude or whatever. Um, but you know, you got to admit that Salesforce, I mean, they're the UI in general is just, it's like 10 years old or if, you know, it's, I mean, not only just the, the UI, but the, the flow of using Salesforce that, you know, whether you're converting leads or whatever, working opportunities, it's just, it's very heavy and, and the markup because they're support supporting old browsers. It's all, you know, kind of non-responsive, just the same old, you know, super table-based markup. Um, so, so I think there's some, there's a gap there that some of these, and I, I don't, I don't think HubSpot is really, I don't think they're really mounting any serious challenge to Salesforce, but it just illustrates that, you know, when you see something like this, it's like, it's, it's amazing how um, refreshing it strikes you. It's like, oh my gosh, that looks so great. It's like a modern app and it's CRM. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, also in the stale news category, which was on my list, is the end of support for IE7 and 8 on Salesforce. So, and I'm one so of the, glad to see that. One I'm of the main so reasons glad. they touted that was was because they don't support HTML5. And I don't think IE9 does either, but they're not ready to cut support off on that one just yet. But that is nice to hear. Yeah, and, and imagine the process they have to go through when making the decision to drop support. So that you know they've got to go to really their their big customers, all their big customers, and say, "Hey, we're thinking about dropping support for i i nine because that's going to be the next one." And then they kind of gauge the pushback they get. You know, if one of their, you know, take HP, which is probably one of their biggest customers, or Dell, right? 
I mean, if Delta says absolutely not, you know, there's no way we can do it because we're going to be on IE9 for the next, you know, 18 months, then Salesforce may, you know, that may. Do you think they really go individually though? Because e- even in the announcement notes, it based, they had stats. They said that 5% are using IE7 and 20% are using IE8. Do you think they just kind of looked at the percentage and said, eh, let's, it's under 25%. We're going to cut it off. I'm sure that's part of it. And of course, you know, they have all those stats because everyone logs into their website. <laughs> their web application so they can right. they can track all that. But it's, you know, it's the big companies that are usually stuck on the older versions. And, you know, I'm sure Salesforce would love to just only support, you know, I 11 and up and, all, you know, just essentially modern, the latest version of every browser. That's really what you, that's your dream. Yeah. It's slowly becoming a reality. I know in certain places it's still, you know, kind of the old school model where <clears throat> everything has to be approved by IT or everything. But I, I mean, lately, more and more customers, they're all using Firefox or Chrome or something along those lines. So they're not even, they're not even touching IE, but on the occasion I do run across someone who's using IE and on IE eight, no less the, that full screen browser mode, not even the the desktop mode, which watching them use that was just painful. <laughs> I can imagine. Cause it, it, it just, I don't know. The, it just wasn't very productive to me. It just looked really bad and it just wasn't a great way to browse stuff so it's like there's no it's like the browser and i, I kind of get this i mean like the browser and the chrome and all that should melt away right and you should yeah. just have like your content you're dealing with but the layout and the way things were positioned you know where you went to kind of interact with things just did not seem really intuitive and i've never i have ie installed on a vm but I, i've never really used that browser i've always kind of gone into desktop mode and used that the you know the one we've all known if I needed to test something in IE, of course, everything by default is Firefox or Chrome. Speaking of testing in IE, did you know that Microsoft now makes available like parallels, I think, and like Fusion um, VMs um, of that, that have Windows and every version of like every reasonably recent version of IE on them? I thought they had a site where you could test your... Th- I- I want to say we talked about this before or I've seen it before or we've mentioned it before, but I remember making a mental note of it at some point that there was a way to do that. Although. Well, testing. Yeah. This, and this is you testing it yourself. There, there are services like sauce labs and some of these others that yeah. um, will basically run, run your app and like, a, like, I guess, you know, your JavaScript test suite or whatever uh, across you know every browser on every platform. But yeah, Microsoft now makes, and you know, it's licensed too. So, you know, you get, I mean, you're not supposed to use it for anything other than testing, but it, I think it lasts like, you know, 90 days. So you can fire the VM up and use it. You know, obviously you don't want to put any data on anything, but if you just want to see what your, your, your app or your, some site looks like in, you know, IE10 or IE9, then just fire up the VM and check it out. It's kind of cool. I mean, that's, that's cool that they're doing stuff. I mean, Microsoft's done, they're doing a lot uh, more interesting and stuff and being way more cool to, you know, what is a heterogeneous environment out there, you know, where everyone's on, you know, windows or Mac or even crazy people running Linux on their desktop. Um, crazy people like you. Uh, I used to, it's been a long time, man. I tried, I tried very hard to run Linux on my laptop. I think, well, how long did I do that? Two years, maybe it was a while. It, was like it wasn't your primary though. You just had a, you oh, had no, a it was. Oh, it no. was. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought you had, I thought your primary was still OS 10 and then you, but you used that one. 
No, this is before this I used a Mac. This oh, is before, okay. yeah, this is, I think it's like 2004, 2005. And then I think I switched to Mac in 2006. You yeah. trendsetter. That, that's a hippie OS or a hipster OS now, isn't it? It's probably, no, OS. no, it's, it's, no, it's, it's way past its like uh, peak to be hipster. I mean, hipster would be walking around with a trapper keeper instead of a, you know, a, a computer. <laughs> I'm just saying in a community of nerds, Linux is the, the hipster of it all. Well, there's different nerds Linux. and hipsters. I don't, use, I don't use those, the Apple or the Windows. That's well, cute. that's more like Linux nerds. That's, that's not hipster though. That's, uh, I'm going to call it nerd hipster. You need, you need to get your stereotypes straight, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll stereotype whoever I want. Damn it. Um, do you know about the internal app exchange? Uh, yes. I, I, that's been around for a while, though. I remember they, bait, they did a beta of it and a pilot of it because um, when I was working for another company, a big company, um, I remember getting um, talking to them about that. And I, I swear we've talked about this. So maybe we talked about it when it was pre-release or something, but yeah. um, I guess they, I guess they released it now, but it's weird. I don't, I'd still, I'd love to understand how this works. You, I don't know if you installed or Salesforce hosts it or what, but it's, it, it's not only for app exchange apps that, you know, install into your Salesforce org, but it also will, um, provision and like install, uh, like Blackberry and iPhone apps, iOS stuff. It's, and I just don't see how they would do that, but that's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, I think it's just meant to be another, you know, another tool set for, for kind of admins to kind of manage what's being delivered out there. I, I know when we were looking at it, we had, it was when I was part of this company and we had like 50 different instances of Salesforce and we needed a way to kind of, we couldn't, we were working on consolidating them into something manageable, but we couldn't do it all at once. Um, and even just phasing it was going to take forever. So what we thought we'd do is start taking apart different pieces, like create a, a module that connected to the back end or a module that connected to the service, you know, all those different modules, and then find a way to distribute them. Um, and I kind of came up with my own little, I'll, I'll call it app exchange, but it was basically just a, a site that listed a bunch of um, managed packages. And in fact, I think I just did unmanaged, but I set it up to where you would do that. And it would just basically be this private little app exchange where you could, you know, install a bunch of packages that had, you know, that was already configured for our, for our company, for our environment. Mm, that's kind of cool. The John exchange. Yeah. The John exchange. I don't remember yeah, if so we named it. So if you have Salesforce, it's free or it's free for your Salesforce users. And it's five bucks a month if you, for non Salesforce users. So it sounds like it's not even something they really, I don't know. I guess they could make money on that if they, if there were enough non-Salesforce users using it, but it's interesting that they're charging for it though, especially that, that low price point. Maybe it's but just enough w- to keep the lights on. I don't know. I mean, would you want like, oh, I'm trying to think of an example, some, you know, large multinational company to put all 30,000 of their employees on this and not pay you anything. Assuming they're not a Salesforce customer. Um, I guess. I don't think anyone who's not a Salesforce customer is going to come and use that. I agree. So as with all these things, they generally only apply to and that, that's really, users. that's really Salesforce's kind of thing it, it is every, it, people get the CRM and then they use these other tools because they've already got the CRM and they've already got the licenses. They've already kind of gone to the well and asked for the money <clears throat> for the licensing and approved the application. It's one thing I learned in big enterprise it takes forever to get an application approved. You have to go through all these different people, all this bureaucracy. 
So Salesforce tacking on all these little different tools and things to the system is actually a really good business plan because Salesforce is already approved. So in these big enterprises where they have to go through that, it's a lot easier to say, hey, we're going to add this module rather than say, oh, we're going to buy this new application to come in and do X, Y, Z. Because then you got to go through a ton of hoops. Mm-hmm. Hoops and loops. Yeah. Um, so what is this? Salesforce opens the door to competitors. Um, Sounds boring. It does. <laughs> you picked up on your boring topics. Salesforce integrate with external. Oh, did you see? Did you hear about that? They're, I guess, going to allow different external file storage providers. Files connect. Yeah, and I, I think that completely. I don't know how to say this, but remember when they came out with their or they announced it was at a Dreamforce event where they announced their own kind of file system tool to kind of it was kind of like their own box. Um, but we never yes. saw it. Yeah. And I, I think what happened is that, A, no one probably was all that interested in it because they were already using Box or Dropbox or something like that. Um, so they announced uh, they'd integrate. So this will work with SharePoint, OneDrive, Google Drive, and so there's speculation that like Box or Dropbox also. But What about Amazon? I'm seeing... I'm hearing, not seeing, hearing a lot of buzz around potentially using Amazon for a lot of that storage. Well, so does Amazon have a, like a Dropbox-like service? I mean, I know they have S3, which, you know, I don't just, think they do. I think people are just seeing the potential for, for it there. I mean, some of these storage systems are little things I've used in the past. I'm trying to think of one. Dropler, for example. I think it actually used S3 as its... Yeah, but you know, S three is just raw storage. It's not. There's no value added. There's no apps to install. You know, it's, it's yeah. Super I don't, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is it's it's an API where they can stick a, a bunch of bits and retrieve yep. it. Yeah. Uh, Benioff claims other CEOs have been stingy. Of course, that's just his his mantra. Um, he's never happy with uh, how other people give their money. You you have to give it the same way he does, or you're not hmm. doing it right. And he will shame you. Salesforce loses their top wave engineer. Interesting. Yeah, it sounded like it was so. What's this guy's name? Um, so he went to Kahuna Inc. And the guy's name is Fayaz Yunus. But he, um, he probably helped build wave and then got bored. Yeah, I was going to say something like that is, is probably, if you're that good, you're probably going to enjoy being in the throes of building something new and then you're going to want to move on. I, I don't see too many people with that type of skill set stay where they're at and just maintain it unless they're trying to grow a business around it. Yeah. Cause you know, once, once the product starts shipping, then you have a product manager that's telling you how to, what's going to come next and how to do everything. And it's, you know, a lot of these guys, I don't think have much tolerance for that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not, I'm not, I don't get all excited about, you know, some main engineer of a, of a product for a large company shifting. Cause I think that's just smart. Actually, it's, it's probably what keeps them going. I also have, um, did you, did you read any of these articles about, you know, the, the tech order, tech worker shortage and how, you know, supposedly does, does it exist or it doesn't exist? It actually, I don't think it exists. Yeah. I'm right here. Hire me. No, I don't, <laughs> that's, that's actually, I think too big of a topic. So let me, um, I got a couple of, uh, I got a clip and then we can get some of your stuff. Cause I know you probably have more. I know you're hogging all the time, man. I know. Well, I'm just trying to get my stuff out of the way. First of all, um, I was listening to do some, uh, checking out some, some Japanese 
like Dreamforce. I guess it was their Dreamforce. I'm not even sure what they call it. But um, I thought I'd play this because uh, it's a way for you to learn how to say sales, service, and marketing and community in Japanese. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Sales, service, marketing, community, analytics. Analytics, too. There you go. Huh? I didn't even catch that. You couldn't hear it? I could hear it, but I couldn't make it out. It was... Are you serious? Okay, was that listen. English? Sales, service, marketing, community. Sales, oh. service, marketing, community. And analytics. 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 See, I thought the second word was sales. I, I don't know what the first one was. No, but you know what's, what's interesting about this um, is that... So, you know, non-English languages, they have to decide when, when there's like some tech word or like they're just a really universal word. Like, do they make their own word for it or do they just go with the English word? Because it's usually an English word. Yeah. Because I, I heard a discussion about this the other day and how it's funny how so many of the tech words, they just don't get translated. They just stick with the, the English. Now that was Japanese. This is a new sales force. This is the customer success platform. I've also, I've also read that some languages can't be modified, like not only culturally, but even at a law level, you can't, you're not supposed to um, modify the original language. So that's where you'll get a lot of words that, where they won't even, sometimes they won't, they'll either use the English word for it or they'll use their words, but to describe it. So it'll be, it'll be like a sentence to describe one thing that we have a word for. Yeah. That's annoying. Okay, so here's um that was just a little aside. Um so recently there was a surprise surprise a Forbes event and uh Mark went to it and sat down with uh, some of these Forbes guys. I've seen him on TV before. Probably recognize his voice, but I think I saw this on Twitter, but I didn't actually watch it. I just saw the post on it. I clipped a couple of things on it. So this first one's like I'll, I'll tell you that um for, you already know this, uh, but for the last couple of weeks, I've been in Hawaii. And just before I left uh, for Hawaii, I uh, got a nice little package uh, in the mail. And uh, the package was from a company that I love and have uh, worked with for a long time and a good customer of ours, Fitbit. Fitbit. <laughs> Surprise, he was in a Hawaii. I, I, I can't ever picture him being in Hawaii. My Fitbit. <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he sure does love Fitbit, doesn't he? I mean, he does not stop talking about, you can Google Benioff I think he, and Fitbit. I think Fitbit, he's got and it some kind of really close over. relationship with the CEO or something because yeah, he, he, it was, he mentioned it at the Dreamforce event and now he's right. talking about one of his favorite companies being Fitbit. Exactly. All right. So just keep that in mind. And this is this new Fitbit and I put it on. It sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, you know, right away, um, I started, I'm starting a journey with them. Of course, this is a connected product. It's connected to my phone. It's connected back to them. Um, as soon as I uh, uh, got the product and I get their app, you know, I have to put their app on my phone. Then I have to sign up. Now I have a, a, an email from them. I've got adoption happening. They're now emailing me out. Are you doing this? Have you tried that? Have you do, they're trying to upsell me. Did you also buy the scale? Um, now, 
That's definitely a commercial. That's not Benioff talking casually about a product that he enjoys. That is a absolute commercial. Every word is purposely chosen. And it's almost like he's trying to describe this gadget to like my mom or somebody. But I think he needs to work on his pitch a little bit because, you know, buying a little device for 50 or hundred bucks and whichever they cost. And then, and then immediately getting bombarded with not only like annoying answer, annoying questions and like, you know, like nanny following you up, like, you know, did you run today or whatever? But, but now they're, they're starting, they're trying to upsell you on scales and stuff, which have got to be more expensive than a Fitbit. Like this is not, this is not convincing me to buy this product. Anyway. Oh, hey, would you join the community of other, you know, Fitbit, uh, very important scale. Have you, have you also, um, join the community of everybody else, uh, who is your friends who are on Fitbit and suddenly I go from receiving a package in the mail to I have multiple products. I'm joined together with all my friends, and I'm getting emails from them on a regular basis. And the interesting thing that happened was I'm in Hawaii, and all of a sudden I get an email from my friend Michael Dell, who's, you know, my neighbor. And My friend Michael Dell, who's my neighbor. (laughs) He says, well, uh, are you feeling okay? And I'm like, why? Did you hear that last clip, that last part? <laughs> Did you recognize that? No. And I'm like, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, I noticed you didn't work out yesterday. I said, what do you mean I didn't work out yesterday? And he goes, well, you know, we're friends on Fitbit. You just added me to the Fitbit community. I'm mo- monitoring you now every day. Now, to, me, and- that, to me, that's very creepy. That is just, that is creepy. It He's- is creepy. Okay. And that's an important point because... Was it two dream forces ago? It really started really bothering me how much Salesforce is really honing on, honing in on this ability for companies to just super creep on you, like to ridiculous levels to see, you know, you're on their journey plan. They have a map of you and they can see where you are. And, you know, your toothbrush tells them when you brushed and just, you know, and, and also, I also think that's why Mark's super into internet of things. Like, I mean, I know that's like the big buzzword and like everyone's got a, you know, got to pretend like they're in, in the, you know, a part of it or, or whatever. But I think one thing that a CRM company would, would like about the, or why they'd be interested in the internet of things is if everything's got an IP address, then everything can spy on you and report on you. And that's exactly what, look at Salesforce. I mean, that's exactly what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, that helps, that helps Salesforce customers yeah. sell. If, if right? you notice his pitch, I mean, it, yeah, we said it sounds like a commercial, but it's not a commercial for Fitbit. It's a commercial for what Salesforce can do, and that's handle and manage those those communications and those communities. Yeah, I think this is like... A, I mean, I, it starts off as like, oh, this is a great product and this and that, and let me tell you about it. But then he kicks into... it's What's not great about it is is the tracking or the steps or anything like that. It's, oh, they sent me a communication to buy more stuff. Oh, they sent me a communication to join a community. And oh, now everyone's social and community. And, and of course, Salesforce tries to sell community constantly, right? Yeah. So it, it is a commercial, but it's a it's a thinly veiled commercial for Salesforce yeah. services. <clears throat> yep. Okay. But yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that you were, you know, you agreed on that whole. This is just like a yet another chapter in the Salesforce is super creepy book. It's monitoring you that way. Well, let's get to that. Let's get to okay. the creepy factor because we're all heading to creepy. We yes. all know that. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. I mean, does it get better than that? 
I, just I a full-on admission. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that would have been better than that as a you know a notarized affidavit. They know it. They know it's creepy. They, all this stuff is creepy. If you knew what some of these like you know technolo- technologically advanced you know uh, retail and consumer companies know about you, you'd probably be you know seriously offended. I mean, it's offensive. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's any way to avoid the creepy factor. For us, it's super creepy. For my kids or even people who are a generation above them, I don't know. They're so used to today sharing everything about their lives. They, sh- they overshare on Facebook, overshare on Twitter. Well, it's and don't you think that that it's people not having to them? Don't you think that you like because I think our, our generation it's it's going to be the last one that it intrinsically values its privacy. More than likely, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, you'll have, you know, your, um, you always have like your libertarian thinking types, but I mean, I think most, I think that the vast majority of people just are not going to care about privacy. It's just, it's kind of been not beaten out of them because they, they never had it, but they just, they won't ever, they'll just not know what it, what it feels like or what it, the value of, of, um, of controlling your own information. Yeah, that's that's one possibility. The other possibility is it does go that way, and then everyone revolts against it, and and basically stops doing everything. I just don't think that can happen. I mean, there's just too many too many powerful interests that are just that trains the trains left. Okay, so let me jump forward a little bit. Yeah, and the people in the room here are making it happen. Some yeah, and the people in the room here are making it happen about getting on this creep bandwagon. I, mean, I wonder who's these in the room. I would love to know who was in the room. Who, this, who was he talking about? Take a look at these first two rows. These are your your creepy stalkers. Yes. Your corporate stalkers. Yeah. I'm sure it was like Salesforce's top customers. That's who he was talking about. <laughs> okay. How do I jump forward? Okay. Information while you're working out. Okay, but okay. I want to. I want to. I want to. So I'm like, I want to. I want to bring you back into the point you were oh, making. I, I'm getting there. I'm getting new there. relationship with customers. Now I think watch, is where you were going. Right? Well, isn't this interesting? Now let's think about Fitbit. What do they know about me? They know actually quite a bit about me. Yeah, no kidding. They um, they know where I am. They know where I. They know that I just went on a trip. They I've given the app. You know, the ability to know where I am and have a geoware location. They know my friends, okay, so they know the kind of people I hang out with. Um, they know how, how physically active I am every day. They also know my, they now know my heart rate. In the next version of this product, they're also going to know my blood pressure and my hydration levels and my V2O max as well. I think you meant VO2 max. Okay, but this brings up something interesting, which is, have you noticed now that car, comp- or, uh, car insurance companies, some of them are starting to offer a discount to you? If you will put a sensor thing in the car, yep. in your car, and basically, you know, they they now know, you know, where everywhere you're going, uh, whether or not you stopped fully at that stop sign you just passed, um, what you know, if you if you were speeding or not, and uh, again, it's not only the so it's the privacy thing again. It's like everything we can do to erode privacy for the benefit of corporate of these. And I'm not even like an anti-corporatist at all. Right. But still, it's still creepy. Like it's just for the benefit of these large corporations that can deploy all this Internet of Things technology and just know everything. You know, they've got sensors all over you. Right. But that's what this reminds me of. And, and now we're talking about Fitbit um, what, becoming a medical device. I mean, it's a med- it's, this is this is like human telemetry. This is a medical device that is going to be reporting back. and. 
you just wait until I promise you we're going to have like insurance things come up that are going to use this device or they're going to, they're, there's going to be some case, there's going to be a lawsuit that decides all this because someone's going to, someone's going to sue because their insurance company got, or their, their insurance company will get all of their Fitbit data to prove that, you know, they weren't, um, you know, they weren't taking their blood pressure medicine or something. And that's why they're not going to pay some, you know, some claim or something. This is not good. That's a bit extreme, but I, I do see that <clears throat> like car insurance, health insurance companies might offer a discount if you wear a monitor device and it reports back to them. And that's just, that's what I'm saying. That's just step one though. Next step is them controlling your behavior and giving you all these, you know, carrots and sticks to behave yeah, the way they- people get tired of this, the carrots and sticks and they start to realize exactly what it is. I, I mean, I think about well, grocery stores. What happens stores, when it becomes I mean, required though? What happens when it really becomes required? To have it in order to get car insurance, you have to have the thing in your car. You don't think that's going to happen? I hope not. I would revolt. <laughs> <laughs> I already have a sensor in my car that does all this, and it's called a freaking toll tag. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, probably okay. not too far from now, they're going to know my insulin level on a regular basis. Creepy. And um, uh, so they have connected with me in a whole new way. <laughs> And you think about that, this is a metaphor. It, the, the reason I'm telling the story is... Yeah, it's a metaphor for what your life is going to be like. How is it a metaphor? I'm, just, I'm telling you right now. That's what it's a metaphor for. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's a, it's a projection into what life is going to be like. When these companies get their Internet of Things and are stalking you and tracking, you know, just gigabytes of data on you, uh, every movement, you know, your insulin level, where you went, how fast you went there, who were you, who you were with. <laughs> Do I sound like I have a tinfoil hat on? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's one other part of this that's pretty funny. Let me. So that you can start to get an idea of where we are going in the world with everything getting connected. And I, I, you mentioned that they're a customer, but I feel compelled to ask you if you have any other commercial relationship with, with Fitbit. Exactly. Right? <laughs> now, pay close attention to his answer. I do a pretty good sales job for the product, don't I? Yeah. It's, I, I think it's one of the most remarkable products I've ever experienced. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> no, uh, by the way, I, you, you mentioned a journey, and I, I neglect... So you think you'll was, get an Apple Watch? Now, wait, wait. What did you notice? Okay, so they just changed the subject on to something else. What did you notice about his answer? He didn't answer the question. No. He did not. He completely changed the subject. (laughs) That's true. Uh, But yeah. I I feel like he's trolling me now. He knows. He's like, that Jeremy guy, he's going to have a heyday with this. uh, You're not even on his radar, man. No. Uh, Anyway. All right. Well, that was my funny clip. Oh, the internet is things. Hey, there is a new chapter in the marketing war. This is new. Oracle bought um, one of these, another one of these marketing companies. Hmm. Uh, but that's just going to keep happening. Data Logics, yeah, they bought Data Logics, which is weird because this says this is a, like a TechCrunch article. Salesforce added Data Logics to its marketing cloud back in April 2014. Now, what does what does that mean? Does that mean marketing cloud can like integrate with Data Logics? What is Data Logics? It's business. Is it business intelligence? I don't even know. Because that's, that's the new thing this year. If there's anything that's a thing this year, it's, it's business intelligence. That's going to be the theme for 2015. Yeah. Um, data logics. Everyone's going to be selling analytics and data mining tools and all those kind of things. That's going to be the thing this year. 
that's just measuring sales, online sales and offline sales. Hmm. 90% of U.S. households, they track $2 trillion in consumer-level purchases. What's that other, what's the big company that forever, I, I can't remember now, I used to have clients that, that use this company. Um, they had, they had like the biggest database of basic, of, of rec retail and consumer purchases. And so if you were in the consumer goods business, you know, you bought this company's data. Everybody did. I'm sure they still exist, but I can't think of them. I don't know. I just want to talk about release stuff. I want to okay. talk about squid release and I want to talk about uh, another release. So, okay. Let's start with uh, squid. 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 All right. So skew ID. You need, do you have your echoey voice? Um, it's so dark in here. Hang on. Hello. <laughs> yes, I do. So the, the name of the new release <clears throat> is Superbank, and you got to do the voice for me. Now, is it, is it Squid Superbank or just Superbank? Superbank. Just call it Squid Superbank. Okay. Announcing Squid Superbank. I clipped the hell out of that, didn't I? Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I need to get my own echoey voice. I don't have cool gadgets like you do. <clears throat> yeah, so Superbank. It's actually a really big, important, and awesome release. I'll say that. I'm actually really excited awesome. about what came out of it because a lot of it helps me with what I'm doing today. Um, so for release dates, uh, it should be in sandboxes right now. <clears throat> On the 16th, it'll be January 16th. It'll be GA on App Exchange, And on the 21st, it'll get pushed out to all production orgs. So by January 21st, Superbank will be released. And what do you, when you say that it's pushed out to production orgs, how are they doing this? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I, mean, I know as an App Exchange, as an ISV, if you're in the ISV force, unique name there, you can... There's way more options nowadays for like pushing out updates. Yeah. I don't know if that means they're going to push a notification and then the admin can go and say, yes, let's do this. Or I believe that's, I believe that's way. I think the admin has to approve it, but they, I don't think it's like, here you go and it's there and deal with it. You know? Yeah. It'd be nice if you could just force a push though, because then you wouldn't have the problem of like, you got customers in just all kinds of different versions of your app. That's always a pain. Yeah, that's kind of what I was pausing it. I, I was going to say, although it sounds bad, it almost would be nice to have a just push here. You're, you're on the latest version always because otherwise you lose out on features. But then when you get into enterprise and those that want to control what version or what if your new version breaks something and all those kind of things. So it's very anti software as a service to have to not be able to have all your customers on the same version. Right. Anyway. So anyway, some <clears throat> notable features. So the visualizations, so they have their new charting component. I'm not sure if I talked about this before, but I might have mentioned it. So they, they do have a new set of components for creating charts, and those charts are attached to the data models. So when the data model refreshes, your charts automatically refresh and things like that. I was a little bit spoiled by charting because I rolled my own charting into previous versions of Squid using Google Charts and things like that. So I got really spoiled by creating my own data sets and massaging the data the way I wanted it. Um, which means they're not really compatible with a Salesforce query and thus a data model. So um, there are places where I'm going to be able to use them and there are going to be places where I probably won't be able to use them. And now my challenge is mixing and matching the two different chart types, especially since the visualizations actually are really nice that you get your, 
you get the chart, you get the legend, and then it's like in typical analytics fashion, you can like actually interact with the chart itself and with the legend. So if you click on a legend, it'll disable that value from your chart. So you can actually remove stuff from your chart and add stuff from your chart just by interacting with it that way. And so, so what now, why, what, what was your complaint about this? That you just, it's, you know, the, the way you have to deal with it is different than your existing. It, yeah. The only way to use them is, is attached to a model. And it's, so as long as you can create a data model that summarizes the data you want and to chart, to be able to chart it, then you're, you're golden. It, it's a really easy way to drag and drop and put that on the page. The problem is I had been rolling my own charts for so long. I got used to, you know, writing the, the JavaScript that went through and grabbed the data, built it, summarized it, and then set, submitted it to be rendered. Um, yep. And that meant that I was doing a lot of inline calculations or a lot of inline summaring or pulling data from two different models and those kind of things. So from that perspective, it was a little bit difficult. Yeah. It, it might be a little bit difficult to transition everything I have today over to that. Um, there, there's some changes to search, but there's not, it's not too compelling. It, it's, you get saucer search now. You can, you can kind of manipulate the search a little bit more, but um, it's pretty good stuff, but nothing I'll go into. Tables is getting an upgrade. You can actually now set the table height and you can scroll and st stick the header to the top, which is going to be really nice for a lot of application centric type layouts where you want to make sure that things stay a certain size um, versus just this endless scrolling down to the bottom of the page that users have to deal with today. Is it infinite scrolling? Infinite. Like does it page in data as you scroll down to it? Yeah, it's the same table. So you still page and you still tell it how many, how much rows to show per page, but within that page. So if you have 50 showing and you only have enough room to show 10 of them, then you'll scroll down to see the rest of the 25. Then you'll page over and scroll to see the, you know. See, I think combining, I've always thought that combining paging with scrolling is a terrible combination. Like do one or the other. Well, you like can, either. you can, you can actually tell it to show all the records, I think in, in the data set. However, that means that your, your load time and all that kind of stuff is going to be impacted because you're loading a ton of data. So it just well, depends on saying. your data set. Well, that's why, what that's what I mean by infinite scrolling is it, you know, it, it might load, you know, a hundred records. But as soon as you start scrolling down and get you, you approach the bottom of that data set, it, it uh, queries for the, you know, the next hundred. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, it doesn't do that, but that, that'd be a nice addition. That would be cool. Uh, no. Multi-select filters is actually really nice. Um, before you could set up a, t a table filter. So you basically have a table and you could add a filter and says, hey, you know, show me only records where the owner is John. Um, well, now you can actually say, well, show me the, where the owner is John and Jeremy. So you'll be able to do that, which is really nice because before I kind of had to custom write a filter input mechanism. So a custom filter, then have that automatically update the conditions of the model and then filter. So that's a welcomed addition. Um, there's a few other things with conditions, tree view, tree drawer, tree view and drawers. Um, I'm not too interested in that. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's some new things with conditional rendering. There's some new things with the export, which is kind of nice. So before, uh, you can actually customize how your export data is exported from a table. Um, I had to kind of use a hack to get certain data to show up because if you have a table that says, hey, here's, here's an account and it's linkable to the actual account, that means what's actually in that column is the ID. So when you exported it, you would get the ID. And so users were complaining saying, hey, I don't have the company name. Right. So then you had to choose, do I make it linkable or do I actually just show the name field, which isn't linkable? And so you kind of, or do I add both to the screen? 
Um, so this, what this lets you do is actually basically create your own export. So you can actually have more fields that are more fields in your export than are in the actual table, which is yeah. nice. And then you yep. could customize how it's rendered and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you get a max of 10,000 records uh, to be exported, which is the Salesforce limit for records. So it's not really a limit that they're imposing. It's just a limit that Salesforce imposes. Which, which API imposes the 10,000? Oh, just the, the Apex. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Visual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've got all Visual Force limits. <laughs> I've, I've actually had like a brick wall on trying to do exports out of Visual Force for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a really nice release. I, I think it's got a lot of really good stuff in it. It it solves a lot of the issues that I had to do some custom coding for, um, which is always nice to scale back how much I'm doing custom coding, especially since um, as I get more experience with it, the apps that I'm building get a little bit more complex. So I'm doing a lot more customization of the way things are rendered, um, doing a lot more custom actions. So trying to do more than one action. Um, which the last release implemented actions, which is also really nice because then I can actually just through configuration, set those up. Um, even though I still have to write the code, but at least declaratively that's there. Sounds like it's, I mean, just continues to, you know, improve and it sounds like it's a nice tool. It's, I still have cognitive dissonance though. It's like, okay, this is a good tool and I can, I can think of a lot of uses for this and it makes a lot of things easier. But I'm also supposed to think, you know, Visual Force is great and Salesforce provides all these tools. And I, it's almost like I'm, you're kind of throwing out Visual Force and it'd be nice if like Salesforce just provided, provided this. That's why, that's why I think it's just, it's a natural, it'd be a natural for Salesforce to, um, yeah, it, it's interesting the, the, to buy them. how Squid fits into the Salesforce world because for the clients that I've been working with um, that are using Squid, they're basically of the mindset. Salesforce UI sucks. The application it, itself is good and the services are good, but the UI sucks. And so they're willing to, to spend the money on Squid. They're willing to invest in basically building a front end to Salesforce using this tool. And it's also, it's like, okay, if, if that's the case, then surely this is something that Salesforce will fix at some point. And then where does that leave Squid? That's a good question. I've thought about that a lot and I'm not, and that, I'm and sure that's there's always a, the dilemma. It is. That's, sorry to interrupt. But I mean, that's the, always the dilemma when you're, when you decide you're going to play in someone else's sandbox. Yeah. It's like, okay, we'll build, let's, you know, we see this opportunity here in this ecosystem in this sandbox that we don't control and you can, you can build something in there and maybe do fairly well. But you know, it's like, it's one of these things at any moment in time, the dude that owns this sandbox could completely destroy your world. That's and true. That's scary. It's a scary way to build a business, but but I don't I don't know that Squid needs to fear because I mean they've got investment from Salesforce and they've got I think they've got a lot of attention from Salesforce. Um, and I think if anything, it'll mean a buyout, meaning they'll they'll get bought and that technology will get folded into Salesforce. I in the case of Squid, I, I agree with you. I, 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 it doesn't seem like they have a lot to worry about since Salesforce did invest in them. But just it's just the general point, you know. There's been a lot of examples though before of like, you know, someone creates an app exchange app that's pretty good. And then, you know, Salesforce comes out with some functionality that just obliterates that. And there's no, there's no point in it anymore. I mean, you know, so Microsoft does this, Apple does this type of thing all the time. Well, I think, I think what Squid does is that Salesforce needs a new UI basically. And they're going to have to deliver Which they're on working that. on, right? Which they're that's, working it's on. coming. 
but they need to know how best to do that. And I think Squid shows them a good way of doing that. The combination of server-side logic with client-side logic, which I think Salesforce is lacking. And they've, they've kind of, you see different elements of client-side stuff in Salesforce, um, like with Chatter and all those kind of things where they say, oh, you have to be on this version of IE for that to work or whatever. You have to be on this browser that, that uh, supports HTML5. So you see some of that today. But I don't think, I think their layout engine and what customers want and their ability to, to create all these really customized interfaces, I think Squidge shows a good example of how to do that with Salesforce. I agree. It's just, it's like free uh, research for Salesforce though. If Salesforce ever wanted to Well, they're investing in it and they're keeping it going. So yeah. Yeah, I I know. I know. Like I said, Squid's a little different because Salesforce seems to be on their side somewhat. But you know, the, you know, Salesforce is working on basically having Salesforce one be the the desktop interface as well. Like the, maybe the one interface to rule them all, like a completely responsive interface. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have wave, which is going to, or wave and lightning components and all those kind of things that are going to compete with, with that type of model. I still, I still think squid is, is a better, better tool than, than, than those things. I, I agree just from what, basically from your descriptions of it, but it'll be interesting to see how squid fits into a Salesforce one world. Well, I mean, squid does provide mobile components so you can actually design both desktop and mobile interfaces with it so it covers both spectrums uh it is it it, one or the other like do you build a desktop or a mobile interface or is it can you build an interface that does both right now i want to say it's one or the other i haven't tried to build one that does both so it may not be a gap it could just be something that i've never tried to do before yeah but the way the tools are set up it seems like it's one or the other because it's not really, you're not really building a responsive page. I mean, the, the page and the design and the way you drag the components is not really forcing you to be a certain type of responsiveness. It's still up to you to, to design whether or not that's going to be that way. And there's, you know, you, you t- I guess what I'm saying is you could technically could create a desktop page that's responsive and you could load that up, but that's not the way the tools are built. You'd have to customize it, go do all the CSS, do all the grid CSS and all that kind of stuff so that you know, when it gets to a certain size, it shows data a certain way or something. But for the most part, it's not, the tool set isn't meant to be responsive. And maybe that's the next move for them is to create an editor that's actually responsive. Yeah. Hmm. But like I said before, responsiveness is tough because if you're writing a blog or a news site, responsiveness is easier. If you're writing an application, responsiveness is really difficult because you're not going to want to show all the same data you know, you're, you're going to have different data requirements for an application when you're sitting in front of a computer or when you're trying to use it on your phone. I agree. I mean, there's just some things that, some tasks that a computer is just, you know, perfectly suited for and a, and a phone's completely inappropriate for. That's why right. when people say, you know, you hear Benny, I'll say that he, he never c- travels with a computer anymore. He doesn't ever take a computer anywhere. He runs his business from his phone. And, and that's fine. That, that means that, that your job is talking to people, texting and checking some emails now and then. Yep. And if that's your job, great. You can run your business from your phone. But that's probably true of most salesmen and CEOs and those upper level people and and salesmen. I think for those of us that are in the back end, actually delivering on stuff and making things happen, uh, not to say that one's better than the other, just to say that those of us that are actually implementing the process or working through the process have very, very different requirements than those that are more mobile and meeting face to face with people. Yeah. Which is where mobile fits in when, when we talk about CRM and, and these type of products. So it's not a feature gap to me to say that 
that you when you write a desktop page, it's a desktop page only, even though you technically could write CSS and get all responsive and make different choices and all those kind of things. But um, that's not the way the tools are designed. It's designed, you have a desktop page and then you have a mobile page. So that's squid. Cool. Squid. So this month we should be able to see all that in production. I'm already using some of the features in a per dev environment just to just actually making my life easier with this new application that I'm building. So it's been a welcomed addition. Nice. All right. So you want to do, um, talk about spring, by the way, yeah. I've, um, actually, I just wanted to, I just want before we get into that. So I'm working on some things, you know, as everyone is that has sandboxes are involved and, uh, code repositories and lots of sandboxes and developers and, this thing where you have to like get the timing right to either stay on or be on the, the instance you need to be on in order to keep developing, but also be able to produ- push to production when needed and know that you're pushing to the same release you're developing on. And in fact, I just described scenarios that you have, you actually can't do all those. You have to pick one or the other, but, but the weirdest thing is there's like a six day window that you either have to not refresh or, or refresh your sandbox, depending on you know where you want it to be. And then after that window, there's a dead zone of, of time where you ca- basically, you cannot, you cannot, there's a, the new release is not available to you anymore. Hmm. And it's just so, and they do that. And it's this way every time. I mean, you, you know, if you re- read these, um, like the, how to, like the, tr- the, every time they do like a sandbox transition blog post or something that's out there somewhere. And you really have to like, you know, I'll read, it's only like a couple of pages, but I, it, I'll read this thing for like, it takes me like 10 minutes to understand like exactly, I mean, what is going on and when do I need to do these? And if I do, if I refresh them now and I get, and that keeps me on what they call like the pre-release system, then, then I'm on the pre-release system and I can, you know, maybe that's what I want to be developing for, but now I can't push to production. I mean, I, I could try, but the metadata, but now you're on a new metadata release, which may not be backwards compatible with the old one. They, there's usually, there are usually new metadata things or changes that are incompatible. And it's just like, there's just no good way to do it. There's no right decision. Yeah. And that just gets into the whole also, just the way that deployment works on Salesforce and the, their metadata model of, of deploying. It's just, it needs so much work. I sometimes wonder if that's just a carryover of old, of the old. And we're, we're kind of in that transition phase because honestly, when a new release comes out, a new Salesforce release comes out, we do test things and we do see if everything still works, <clears throat> but it's not like an intentional thing. I mean, we run all the unit tests or if we're developing something and we'd see an issue, um, then we know and we can report it. And I've seen people report those type of issues, you know, when they get something in sandbox and it's not in production, but for the most part, that's something that has to come from the one managing the system, the admin and the code base to actually actively go out and check that. And it doesn't happen very often. Um, it happens for those companies that have a lot of due diligence and uh, a lot of good people who will think about those things. But I'd say, I hate, I'm just going to give a percentage. I'm making this up, but I'd say about 75% don't ever test a release in sandbox for the purpose of seeing if everything's still going to work once it goes and goes live in production. Yeah. I mean, that, that number sounds, it, it rings true to me. And, and do we need to do that? If, if that larger percentage is actually just getting by and not having very many issues and 
you know, if, if enough people scream loud enough, Salesforce could technically roll back a release or put out a hot fix for something, which is what, which is what most of us in enterprise do anyways, because rolling back a release is really expensive. Um, we don't, you know, we prefer to hot fix something that's broken that made it into production versus trying to roll it back and do all those kind of things. So, yeah, because sometimes rolling back is almost impossible. Like a lot of, a lot of people don't, they, they, they plan their, their upgrade and, you know, go forward strategy, but they do not even, even really have a plan for how to roll it back. You know, especially like imagine if a data migration is involved. Yeah. Usually people write forward, they write data migrations that are, they can go in one direction only. They cannot go backwards. What's also an issue is, is that a lot of us only have one full sandbox. Well, when you're talking enterprise, you, you get that one. And usually we try to make do with one because it's really expensive to buy more. So you end up testing everything in a release version that's not on production yet, which has features that are not available yet. Um, and, it's which, and, and metadata that's not compatible. You cannot yes. deploy, you know, feature or, yeah, you can't deploy your, you know, version 33 metadata to, a, to production. The production's still on version 32. Um, Generally, not generally. No, I mean, if if you if you're lucky and you're only deploying like a, a subset of metadata that hasn't changed or whatever, then you're probably okay, right? But it's that's total Russian roulette. I, I think I think a better solution is the ability to through configuration in a sandbox say I want to use version thirty one, version thirty two, version thirty four, and to be able to switch it back and forth. Now, I know that's probably a pipe dream, but. That I think would be the best because then you could put it in a mode and say, Hey, we're going to test functionality. We're going to check and make sure everything works. And then we can change it back and we can still do our development. We can still do our releases. We can still do all of that stuff. Uh, the problem with switching back and forth is what do you do with code that's sitting there? This version, that's a version up or something or using a feature that's not there anymore. So, well, that's the, yeah, that is, that is the problem. So, so I, I know why it's a pipe dream, but that to me seems like the better option is to be able to choose what version you're using and, and to be, be able to dynamically choose it, even if it's like you can only change versions once a week or something like that. Yeah. So this is, this, this stuff just comes up every time there's a new release and it's always annoying and takes more, way more time and ever than it should and doesn't work as well as it should. And I hope they, I hope they work on this. Well, you gave us a nice segue into re, to the spring, <laughs> but I had a segue ready too. <laughs> okay. Well, dub, you can double segue it. All right. We'll double segue it. Um, oh, but I also had a cheesy intro, you know, spring is in the air and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh no, it's cold outside. Why, why do we get a spring release in winter? Damn it. I, it's like, it's like fashion, you know, it's like they, all the clothes come out when it's way before it's appropriate to wear them. I don't know. I've never understood that. So my segue is we, we had talked a while, while back about squid and how you deploy squid and it's basically copy and paste the, the XML. <laughs> <laughs> or you could create a uh, export everything, create some kind of I forgot what it was. You can you can create a package out of your your pages, and then it goes in as a static resource. You deploy that static resource, and then you import that package. So um, it gets kind of kludgy, but it is what it is because you can't create custom metadata types. Well, in Spring fourteen, they're going to pilot develop uh, the ability to deploy custom metadata types. And I'm glad you brought this up because I read this and I just don't understand how this could possibly work. It's like I can build my own functionality in Salesforce. No, I think it's more of being able to say, I have these, this configuration where I would normally use a custom setting to do it. Um, 
but you can't deploy that. You can deploy the the fields and all that kind of stuff, but you can't deploy the values because it's data. A custom setting is just a table. So I think what, what this means is that you'll be able to create a custom metadata type and say, here's my configuration. Here's the data associated with that configuration and be able to deploy that. I mean, but think of examples of metadata types. You know, there's um, page layouts and custom objects and, you know, visual force page is a metadata type and email template folders. Those are all, those are all, those are all backed by like code and massive amounts of functionality in Salesforce. Like I can surely I can't add my own. It's like the difference between a model and a meta model. Like I, you can, you can come up with a new model that's based on the system's meta model, but you can't come up with your, you can't, how would you create your new meta model? Unless I can just, you know, can I drop a new jar file into Salesforce's build system? And so my code runs. Yeah, I'm not sure on the entire implementation. It's pilot, so we don't have too much access to it. I, I, the release notes kind of shows some examples of how to retrieve and get metadata information. And it's it's almost like you would a custom setting where you say, you know, get instance or something like that, but you're getting, you know, metadata value names and things like that. So I don't know. I don't know what the format is or what, you're, what you save it as or anything like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it shapes over time. And I mean, if it almost sounds like just a like, custom object to me, almost sounds custom, like a custom object. Like it's just data, like a data structure and values. Uh, I don't know. And see, this is why people tune into our podcast. Very informed, very <laughs> informational. Well, it's, it's a new <laughs> feature. It's a new down. pilot feature. So it's hard to say, oh yeah, it's going to be this, this and this and this, unless I had access to someone who engineered it and, and did that. And again, with pilots, the functionality could change. So they're, they're basically with a pilot, they're going to select a few customers, ISVs, probably they'll probably stick with ISVs. Um, maybe an enterprise company that's doing a lot of custom development, but I think they'll stick with ISVs and say, Hey, here's this thing. And we'll see it. Let's see if it solves your problem. Like, you know, maybe for squid, they can create their own metadata type for the pages that they, that you create. And it's, it's all XML right now, but maybe it'll be put into this format, this metadata format, and you'll be able to deploy those or something because now it's metadata. Cause you'll be, and since it's metadata, it'll be included in your package and you can deploy these. So me as a developer writing a squid page in sandbox, will be able to deploy that hopefully. Yeah. It just, sounds like data, it, it just sounds like a data structure to me. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's still a data structure type, but it's a type that can, move data there's like some limits on it and things like that but you'll be able to actually move it and deploy it versus custom settings which is combination of metadata and actual data so it's two yeah. different things right and who knows it maybe it'll just be a json format in the back end i don't know yeah all right what anything else sound interesting on uh well, yeah i'm sure you have other things right well i thought there was a lot of things interesting on here and when i mentioned it to you you said it was Kind of uneventful. And I think what you meant by that is there's really nothing new for developers in terms of the language or anything like that. It's nothing's changed there. Yeah. So, I mean, so when a new, when release notes come out for a new edition of, not edition, I guess this version, right, of release of Salesforce. I mean, the first thing I do is I go directly to the section where they would announce the just very small handful of things that are, that so badly need to be addressed and that, and that really cause Salesforce to just be stuck in the past with, you know, really outdated, multi-decade old technology. Um, and that, and it just makes certain things on, on Salesforce, you know, force.com, what are you going to call it? A total pain. 
So I go right to those and, and look for, you know, it's like, you know, uh, when you, when you're growing, you know, if you grow up really poor or something on Christmas morning, you go down hoping to see like, you know, the best present you can imagine. And it turns out there's, you know, a couple of pair of socks and, you know, <laughs> hey, so, I like socks. But, <laughs> and it's not like, I mean, there's, there, there is interesting stuff in this release, but it's just, it's just none of the stuff that, yeah, it, it, it's almost like it's for me, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like until they fix these, some of this fundamental stuff, I really can't even begin to care about the crap they've layered on top of it. I feel like they've just paved over. They keep paving over this, you know, not, I mean, some of it is almost broken, but just really just limited and, and non-competitive and just bad bad technology. They just keep paving over it with one layer after another. Yeah. Well, to the point that, you know, to the point that they, they've like buried an old, you know, city or something. And like a thousand years from now, someone's going to like some architectural dig is going to happen and they're going to discover like, (laughs) I I think the only way they're going to solve that is, is what we've talked about before is relegate apex to be a database database language basically you know you're triggering your stored procedure type language and then allowing us to either use java or even javascript or something else to actually do our development i know what are we three years in after the heroku acquisition and still i mean the integration is still really weak between heroku and Salesforce. it it cracks me up how much salesforce people but where whether it's you know employees or 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 they're just their public information or MVPs or whatever, how much they talk about Heroku when there's just so little connection between Heroku and Salesforce still. Yeah. It's so disappointing. I know. So anyways, yeah, there's nothing new compelling there for, for that type of thing. But I think in terms of the tools that it has, I, I saw some good nuggets. Um, we're on the subject of deployments, so we might as well talk about that. Uh, the changes, did you read about the changes to deployments? Um, I don't know, refresh, maybe I might have. No, you probably didn't. Then. Okay. <laughs> So they're, they're giving you, they're going to, this is actually kind of weird because um, they're changing deployments in a way to try to make them seem faster, but they're not actually making them faster. I did see this. You don't have to run tests on a lot of things. Yeah. No. You, right. you can choose not to run tests for certain things. And then there's this one thing where it won't run tests for something you ran four days ago or something, which doesn't make sense. I'm not even so sure. arbitrary. That's such a bad idea. Actually. Yeah. That, I, I, I read that and I was like, that doesn't make sense, sense at all. It, it just doesn't. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that, how well it's going to work or anything like that. Um, I, I just don't know, but yeah. at least you'll be able to do some things to try to minimize how long it takes to test. One of the, one of the nice things that I do think is really awesome is that you can run a validation and then you can go in and say, just deploy this and it won't have to run your tests again. That would be amazing. <laughs> that in itself um, helps because at least at least I can run a validation, even though all I do now is just run a deploy. I don't even do validation anymore because it takes so much time to do both. Um, validate and then, oh, okay, everything passed. Let me hit, click deploy and wait right. again for all the tests to run. So at least you can create a best practice pattern. At least say, yes, validate always and then deploy. Because right now it's just straight out deploy. Well, if you're deploying to production, it's always a validate. There's always a validate built into the deploy. Right. I'm just saying stepwise, psychologically wise, you're, you can at least do your validation. And I'm trying to think how long that validation has to stay. But if you're using the tools, you can probably validate a couple of days before, get everything set up. And then on the day you want to do the release, just click deploy. Yeah. 
you know, assuming nothing in your pack has changed that you need to push up and validate again. But if that's the way that works, then that'll be extremely valuable because then, you know, when everyone's here and everyone's at work, you know, all the people you need to help support it, your developers, your, your release management team, all those people are there. You can run your validation. If there's any issues, you can all huddle together and fix it. And then once that's done, then only one person has to be around to, to hang out, you know, at 10 o'clock at night or whenever you're doing your deployment on Saturday and click the button. Yeah. So from that perspective, it, I think it's really great. You know what else would be cool? And maybe this is similar to what you were just saying, but imagine if you did a validation only deployment and it gave you a token, like a, like a success token. Mm-hmm. And as, and you had some option to lock production down. So there were no changes to it. And as long as you hadn't changed since that token was generated, you could then just Salesforce would like, they basically, you know, that token represents like a stored deployment and Salesforce could just like immediately deploy it in the future. As long as production hadn't changed, mm. um, immediately deploy it and not have to like run the tests and all the waiting and all that again. Cause some, some in, in big deployments, this can take, I mean, hours at, at least, if not, if not days. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes, you know, it takes just a minute to run like a small test class. So, you know, if, if you think some of these deployments that have thousands of test classes, I mean, that could take, that could take a day, you know? So if, imagine yeah. if you could just pre, you know, pre-run all the pre-flight, all that stuff. And then, Again, as long as you like, you know, somehow like you lock down production or something, you you could, you know, just do an auto, like not an auto deploy, but uh, you just flip a bit and it's that new deployment is in production. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Now I did. So I was looking back over the release notes and I remember there was a picture of that button that says quick deploy, basically, which is after it validates. And it does have, I don't remember, I don't, didn't see this in the text anywhere that says, oh, we're going to keep it for X number of days. but in the on the screen itself, um, it has a little screenshot. It has a little expire um, counter. And right now on the screenshot, it says three days, 23 hours. So I'm assuming four days. Yeah, that's what it said, four days, which I just I still don't understand. That is so arbitrary. Yeah, so. I guess that Salesforce saying, well, I guess, you know, you don't usually change very much in four days. It's probably still good, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, as long as you don't really care if stuff works or not, go ahead and deploy I, it. It's dangerous, but it's probably one of those things where, I don't know, you're, you're kind of living with the danger because it's going to make things a little bit faster. It's a kind of a compromise. Well, Salesforce is, you know, Salesforce development is certainly all about compromise. I think that's probably what it is. I think more than anything, it's a compromise because those of us who are out here trying to deploy large code bases, and Salesforce unable to solve the speed issue. And it's a compromise that says, okay, well, we just won't run tests for XYZ or, you know, those kind of things. We'll give you a little more flexibility to choose what you run. It, it puts a little more risk on our side as the developer or the deploy, whoever's doing the deployment. However, it's, it's just a compromise between the two that says, yep, you might deploy something that doesn't work or break something. Yeah. Which we kind of do today anyways. Yep. <laughs> Um, other than that, there wasn't too much else in terms of deployment. I didn't really see anything compelling about visual force other than they have, they're now going to start showing maps on address fields, uh, Google maps, I think. And then you'll also have like a component in visual force that will do the equivalent of showing that map. Do I have a visual force date, date picker component yet? I don't think so. Can you believe that? When lightning comes, you will. Uh, really? Okay. I think so. Uh. Cause you'll be able to create. 
your own components. And I mean, I've waited this long. They might as well just wait for lightning. Might as well. Um, so with, for Apex code, you get a more flexibility with callouts and batch jobs, which is kind of nice for those yeah, that are integrating that. with systems that have APIs that just aren't written for Salesforce, Salesforce. friendly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what we have to do today is basically put a, a middle, a service in between so that it can respond back to Salesforce as quick as possible. It'll queue up the job. It'll wait for as long as it needs to. And then it'll come back and post back to Salesforce, which is still a valid architecture, but there might be cases where now we can connect directly because now we have a lot more time to process things. So the, the new th- feature is that you can, you can initiate an asynchronous callout. That callout will basically be performed, at least from the diagram I saw, on a different server so that it can actually take a little bit more time. And I forgot how long it was, but it's significantly more time to process and wait for that service to respond. And then it'll come back and, and update Salesforce. So for synchronous, the limits were relaxed a little bit more. I think both da- data, you can get up to 12 megs of data now. On a, on a callback, which is nice. So you can actually re- send and receive more data. Mm-hmm. And the timeout was relaxed a bit, but to get that full, you know, wait as long as you need to, and I'm not sure it's wait as long as you need to, I'm sure it times out after a certain amount of time, but you, it does wait longer. So you're able to integrate directly with more things or... yeah. In the case that that I had, it was integrating with back office, which was SAP, and we were trying to communicate with those services directly. And of course, those took time to process, and there were some timeout failures and all those kind of things. So, I, I saw something about how you could um, they made it easier or more possible to to like um, just chain one like job onto another because didn't aren't there limits on like starting like a batch job from a batch job or something like that? They yeah. don't let you do it. Yeah, so I think that's been loosened up. Um, but I also just noticed like, I didn't see this before. You can do a deployment to an org that has an active, you know, like background job. You don't have to stop. You don't have to stop your jobs, your yeah, scheduled jobs. That never jobs. made sense to me of why it would do that. It just seems like if it's got an active job in the queue, it sh- at least in my mind, it would queue that, that piece up, that version of the code up. Ah, I guess it does make sense. <laughs> yeah. So probably the way they solved it is they, they create a version of it and you have your old, you have everything that queues up new will have that new version of the code and everything that's already queued would have that older version of the code. Because in, in some of these orgs, you know, first of all, going in and stopping on the job is kind of a pain, but then it's like, okay, how do you restart these? Because a lot of them have, you know, really custom schedules on those jobs, like scheduled jobs. Yeah. And you have to go to like, you have to go to like some visual force page or some tool to to start that. I just start that it, job back I up. build it into the batch job itself. I build a scheduled job method into it and then i just do an execute anonymous for your for your schedule jobs but all you know what about all the third party and all that kind of stuff you know it's like yeah. you've got to restart all those somehow yep and it's probably just going to be point and click manual the good old screenshot what's enabled good, and what's not and you go back yeah. in and fix it i guess you're i guess you're, you can have your button click admin do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey uh, you you click buttons go schedule these jobs yeah Oh, the other thing that, by the, the, way, thing that am, the callouts does just really quick is that it doesn't count against your, um, shoot, what is that word called? Concurrent limit. So you have a concurrent, you have a concurrency limit in Salesforce. So anything run over five seconds is considered concurrent and it, you have a limit. So once you hit that limit, nothing else will execute until they start clearing up. When you put this in an asynchronous mode and it's running, it doesn't count against your, your concurrency limit. 
So you're broken free from that limit as well. When the mm, that's does. cool. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the whole like button click admin term. Like I'm not being derogatory at all. In fact, I think that term is derogatory and I don't, I don't like it. I think it's um, condescending or derogatory towards really smart admins that know probably more about Salesforce than I do. I know it's not meant to be that way. That's just the way it sounds. It just seems like such a bad name, but you're offended easily. I know. I'm, <laughs> but yeah, you batch to, jobs, you, you know, can I mean, actually you, you have to be cl- <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so you have to, you have to keep it PC around me, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm the, I'm the PC police. That's funny. Cause you're so not. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you make me sound like I'm a racist, bigoted, you know, homophobic, uh, whatever. I wouldn't go that far with it. <laughs> <laughs> just like half of those or just something like, or I'll, what? I'll just pick a few <laughs> from that list. <laughs> I won't tell you which ones. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. You can actually queue up an array of jobs basically. And I think it'll execute in that order. So it gives you a little more control over execution order and things like that as well of batch jobs. So it's not only that you can run, you don't have to chain your jobs anymore, but you can control the execution order a little bit better as well. So have you ever um, been in an org that uses work.com work? Uh, no, no. We were, the company I was at before was about to start using it, but I wasn't there for the actual rollout. The only thing I know about it is I'll, you know, I'll get like every once in a while, I'll get some badge or something. It's just like, really? It's just so, I don't know. I can't believe it's a thing, but it is. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. This is, I'm sure there's like just hugely awesome things about, or maybe is this one of these small, cause you know, that sometimes they'll do like a kind of like a TikTok, like a small, a small release and then big release. Is this kind of like a smaller one? You think? No, I think it's a big release. I just think from from a development perspective, uh, some of the changes are big changes. I think, from my, at least I imagine from an engineering perspective, it took quite a bit to get this to work, or even to just make those compromises and be okay with them, like the whole four day rule and all that kind of stuff. I think that just more than engineering, it took just are we going to be able to? Is this going to cause too many issues? Um, but I think some of the other enhancements, at least from the point and click side of things, I think there's quite a bit there. I, I saw some things on analytics coming out. I saw some things on uh, data de- deduplication changes. So you can actually, I think, write some rules and things like that. Or not write, but you can point and click some rules into the system that will help identify duplicates and things like that. So you'll be able to catch those. Um, just a lot of just little things like that sounded really interesting and cool for people that are admins at Salesforce. Um, hmm. New fields, fields that should have been there already, like middle name, suffix. Yeah. Out. Mm-hmm. Um, the address field, of course, is getting a little map, which is nice. The ISV side, there's some new things um, about components and deployments and things like that. So you'll be able to kind of deploy deletes now. And that's part of the, the updates to the metadata API, I think, or the tooling API or both. So you'll, a, you'll have a better way of kind of identifying things you want to delete. And I think with an ISV package deployment, managed package, you'll be able to also signal things for deletion as well. Yeah, it seems like from an ISV perspective, they're, they're, they've been slowly letting you do more things like delete. And, you know, so, you know because, it, I mean, man, in the past, I mean, if you had a package that had been around for a while, it just it wears its history on its sleeves. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. It's a mess. You can't get away from it. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't refactor. You can't rename. 
you can't delete stuff. You know, you can't delete code unless it was like, I think you could delete private Apex classes. I mean, and the problem is, you know, if you install like, for example, a global Apex class in your package, then people can form dependencies on that. Like they can now code around that. They can use that code and you can't just go ripping stuff out that there's references to. So right. I, I get the, I get the problem. I just, man, there's gotta be, well, there's still references to things, but as long as you can, if what it might give you the ability to do is, is get rid of those dependencies. So you can say if maybe you had a workflow rule that had a dependency on some class or something or some whatever rule, you can remove that workflow and then that gets rid of the dependency. And now you can actually get rid of that, that um, whatever other rule or class or table, or whichever. So there's still dependency management there, but it sounds like you'll be able to at least initiate those deletes with the package. And if you can work around all the dependencies, which is tough, um, you'll have a good shot at it. However, if, if where it'll probably have an issue and it'll probably cause a lot of support calls is if me as an admin created a dependency on that component, there's nothing they can do about that. You'll have, you'll basically say, Hey, I can't, I can't upgrade to version two, blah, blah, blah. Cause it's giving me this dependency delete error. And they're going to have to say, well, you're going to have to get rid of your workflow that you created so that you can update. Yeah, I mean, I think that's better than, than not having any delete capability. But I think so. I just think it's going to increase the amount of support that an ISV is going to have to provide, especially when it comes to updates, because there's going to be those situations. But. Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to you know playing in someone else's sandbox. Like, there's just it gets it gets tricky. Yeah, really tricky. So, on a side note, did you notice that the template for release notes changed? Um, you know what? I hadn't even looked at the PDF yet. Are you talking about the, the web-based version of the PDF? No, the PDF version. Oh yeah. They, it's a totally just new look and feel, right? It's a new look it's and like, feel. It's cleaner. It's easier to looks read. It's like Twitter. <laughs> Everything. It's, it's also always, much more explanatory. Like when it introduces a section, it talks about what that section or what that technology is. So like Apex code, it actually tells you what Apex code is from a very fundamental standpoint, almost, you know, Salesforce 101 type type way. Um, so it's, a, it's much more wordy. But it was hard. Yeah. I, I was looking through one of them the other day and I was like, Oh, this is hard for me. Like I can't find them. My brain is so not, is so used to the old format that I was having a hard time. I'm, I'm going to have to get used to it. Yeah. But sure. the other thing I liked about it is they started including, um, the idea exchange into it. So if a feature is added or basically when a feature was added or whatever was updated because of an idea, um, you're, that's, you're talking, you're talking about, you asked for it. <laughs> yes <laughs> almost like you're being punished <laughs> uh, you asked for it here you go <laughs> exactly. don't blame us you said yeah. you wanted it <laughs> i think that's been in there for a while there, there's a, there's always been like a little icon they'll put next to new features also that in you know like it's like the you asked for it icon or you'll see that next to that's been in there for a while yeah but, but i think if i remember correctly it actually links to those ideas yeah that would that would yeah but that would that would make sense i mean it's not like it just says here this feature and it has like an i ask you know you ask for an icon it's it's the actual post in here mm. like the header okay. to the post and you can click on it so you'll see the idea exchange the idea is delivered and then you can actually click on that and you can go to the actual idea post and see uh, which is kind of nice because then you can see you know well how did that get in there versus mine that i put up there you know whatever yeah, the, the you asked for section it always pisses me off though because i'm because they've never implemented any of the things i've asked for and i'm just super bitter about that they don't like you man no, I'm sure they, well, I mean. You need uh, to be nicer and, and, you know, take them out to dinner and all that kind of stuff. 
I think it's, I think they need to take me out to dinner. They have a bigger budget than I do. The I can promise you that stuff. <laughs> I'm responsible for a ton of Salesforce revenue. So they should, uh, pamper me. <laughs> oh, you're so important. I mean, think about how much revenue sales, Salesforce revenue has happened because you were able to get, you know, mutual clients, what they need. Hmm. It's a lot, man. I guess. I, I, I mean, there's, I don't there's ever no, see it that way. Cause usually they've already bought it and there's something that they want done that it doesn't do. And that's where I come in. Yeah. But the Salesforce would have like not been acceptable without, without the things that you were able to do with it. So you're in you know, you're part of enabling that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely part of the sales pitch of, well, yeah, it doesn't do this, but you could write a visual force page that does do that. You know, that's, that's part of the sales pitch of, you know, when someone comes in and says, Hey, I think I want Salesforce, but I need it to do this, this, and this. And that's where we come in is the, this, this, and this. <laughs> yep. Well, I think we've gone over our limit. Cause of you. Yeah. Probably so. <laughs> that's fine. I'll take that. That just means next week we can have a little more fun. It is, it is almost pitch black here in my cave now, except for my monitor and the lights on my mixer. I can't even see my keyboard. I need a picture of that. You should, you need to post a picture of that so we can see Jeremy. And his I mean, cave. I'd have to have an, like a super wide angle, wide angle lens. Cause I'm so boxed in here. Like you couldn't get a camera in here. Take you know video. what I'm saying? Take a panoramic video. I, I know. I guess actually, six. you know, I could, I could do it. Just a panoramic picture. Yeah. Oh, that's so small. I don't even know if it could focus that close, but there's also not enough light. I'd, I'd have to put some light in here to get an exposure. <laughs> You're all thinking, you're all thinking about lighting and everything. You're like trying to set up a professional studio. Just take a picture of your Hobbit yeah. cave. Yeah. Well, you know me. <laughs> all right. Can't do anything half-assed except for the things I do half-assed. Yeah, exactly. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. You are not cool. I know. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna move because I'm literally cocooned in. I have the sheet wrapped around me, and and it's I'm sealed into my box. So you go ahead. I'm just gonna sit here. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. And I'm like, why? <laughs>